You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. But I want to look in Luke chapter 10 tonight. Luke chapter 10. This is the week of prayer for international missions. We passed out these brochures on Sunday. They were in each worship guide. And these are really helpful guides to lead you through some specific ways to pray for missions, for missionaries. And I really like how it's set up this year. They mention specific people, but in mentioning specific people in specific places, they're talking about different methodologies in reaching people. So for example, on day one, they talk about reaching the lost through obedience. Uh, Day two, innovation. Day three, uh, research. Day four, partnerships. Day five, church planting. Day six, uh, relationships. Day seven, through discipleship. Day eight, through commitment. So there are these themes throughout this guide that really help you to know how to pray for what God is uh, doing around the world. So it is uh, really, really awesome. If you, if you have the guide, you can look real quick, or I'll just share it with you. But on day three, it talks about reaching the lost through research. How many have read this already? Reaching the lost through research. Uh, it's really neat what the IMB is doing. They're starting a new initiative called Project 3000, and they are sending out uh, committed, um, physically fit young people that are able to travel through mountains, deserts, islands, and cities to find the unengaged, unreached people groups in the world. These are groups of people bound together by language and culture, and there's no one there trying to tell them about Jesus. So these pioneers, these these, uh, explorers, as it calls them, are trying to find these people groups and learn about them so we can get them connected with someone that will go tell them about Jesus. And so it's a really awesome, awesome thing, this Project 3000. And I'm praying that that eventually there'd be someone from our church on this Project 3000 team, maybe some young person that feels the call of God in their life, and they will be in you know the the you know the mountains in Southeast Asia trying to reach people for Christ and, and find the lostness around the world. And so pretty exciting to see all that um, that we can pray about and all that is uh, going on. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look in a very familiar passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 10. And this passage is simply about Jesus sending out his disciples on a short-term mission trip, basically, sending them out into surrounding villages to tell people about him, to share the gospel. And in this sending, there are some principles that Jesus gives that really can help you and I know how to pray better for missions. So people say, we ought to pray for missions. We ought to pray for missionaries. And we think, okay, that's great. But how do you do that other than God bless the missionaries? How how can we pray specifically for missionaries and missionary work in different places in the world? Well, I believe there are some principles here that come from Jesus in these instructions to help us know how we can pray for international missions. Let's read the passage first. Look there with me, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. The Bible says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, 
into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Father, I pray that you would guide our thoughts tonight as we study your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk away with some things tonight that are practical and helpful and that would guide, Lord, our, our thinking, that would guide, Lord, our praying, that would guide our giving, even our going, God. Would you use this tonight to work in our lives? And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, four ways to pray for international missions that come straight from this passage, from the instructions of Jesus. Number one, pray for more laborers. Pray for more laborers. It says there in verse 1, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he says, he, he lays down a principle here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So notice, first of all, the abundant harvest. The harvest is uh, plentiful. Over in John chapter 4, Jesus, he encourages his disciples to lift up their eyes and look around. And he says, if you'll look around, you'll see the fields are white under harvest. There is a harvest out there. There is a readiness for people to receive Christ if they but have someone come and tell them about Christ. So notice here the abundant harvest. You know, I, we're going to talk about church planting in the coming days and starting new churches. And I was a church planter. I, I went into a community and and uh, Claire and I, and we started a brand new church. There was no church there. We got 30 people together, started a church, and the Lord took it from there. But a, a common, a common, um, a common issue people had with church planting was this. Some of the existing churches in the area said, wait a minute, we've got some churches here. And, you know, we, 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 we got some folks here, and if you come in here, then, you know, we'll have too many churches. And I thought, okay, too many churches. Too many churches. And when someone expresses that, that, that concern, what they're saying is this, I'm worried your church is going to take some of my members. They're not saying, well, I'm worried you're going to reach too many lost people. See, the, the reality is, yeah, we got church members and they, you know, people go to different churches for different reasons. That's fine and that's all part of God's plan and God's sovereignty. But what we need to realize is this. If we'll just look around, there are a lot of lost people right here in Fort Walton Beach. There are plenty of people 
to reach with the gospel. So we don't need less churches. We need more churches. Uh, by the way, if all of our existing churches were filled to capacity this Sunday, there'd still be tens of thousands of people in Okaloosa County sitting at home far from Jesus. We need more churches. That's another sermon for another day. But, uh, but the, 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 the point here is this. If we'll just look around, Look in our families, look in our workplaces, look in our schools, look in our neighborhoods. There are lots of folks that need Jesus. And here's what we know. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. That if we will go forward with the gospel, people are likely to give their lives to Jesus. I mean, we'll see some things happening because the gospel is so powerful. So notice the abundant harvest, but then notice the insufficient laborers. The insufficient laborers. He says... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. In other words, there is a, there's a gap between the need and those seeking to meet the need. The laborers are few. It, the, the implication here is if more laborers went, we'd see more people saved. We see more souls harvested for the kingdom. But if we don't have enough, then there are people who, uh, who might receive Jesus that won't receive Jesus because there's no one to tell them about Jesus, the laborers are few. As I just read earlier from the, the, the brochure about Project 3000, we know, we know there are over 3,000 people groups in this world that have never even heard the name of Jesus and no one's there even trying to tell them. Think about that. We're talking about real people. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, grandkids, cousins, you know, real people. And imagine being born and growing up in a village and acquiring some sort of trade and way to subsist and living into your adult years and getting married and having a family and then aging and then eventually coming to a place where you pass away and having that entire life and you've never even heard the name of Jesus? Think about that. That should weigh heavy on our hearts. The, the laborers are few, insufficient. So we need more labor. So what, what is the, the solution Jesus gives? He says there, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If we, listen to me, if we don't have enough laborers to get the gospel to all the peoples of the earth, it's not a manpower issue. It's a prayer issue. Because this verse says we ought to pray that the Lord of the harvest, the one who sends people out, will send people out. And he responds to our prayers. In fact, if you look there in your notes, there are a couple quotes in there. Do you see that at the top of the page? A couple quotes in there. Everybody have that? You have that on your sheet? Okay. So the first one comes from T. Bronson Ray. FMB stands for Foreign Mission Board. Before it was called the International Mission Board. It was called the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was the secretary of the uh, Foreign Mission Board at that time, 1910. And he says, The modern missionary enterprise was born in prayer. It must advance in the power of prayer. And what he means is this. If you look at the modern missionary movement, going back to William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Luther Rice, people like that. If you look at the modern missionary movement, it was birthed out of prayer. People getting together and praying and God awakening hearts. And out of that prayer revival, God began just to send people as Lord of the harvest. And so uh, T. Bronson Ray is saying this, it, 
missions, modern missions began in prayer, it's going to continue in prayer. And then I love this quote from Jason Mandrick in his really helpful Operation World Prayer Guide. It's about that thick, and it's really helpful. It's online as well. But I summed up the first part of the sentence by saying God has determined to. God has determined to partner with his redeemed people so that his actions in the world are inextricably linked with our prayers. May we become intercessors with a world vision that prays Satan-defying, kingdom-taking, people-reaching, captive-releasing, revival-giving, Christ-glorifying prayers. But notice the first part of that sentence. God partners with his redeemed people, that's us, the church, so that his actions in the world, what he does moving in the world with the gospel is linked with our prayer. In other words, God doesn't need us, right? God doesn't need us. He could, he could move without us, but he's chosen in his sovereignty to partner with us, specifically through our prayers. So as we pray, God moves and puts more laborers on the field, and there is a great need for that. So you and I need to pray for more laborers, that God would send people out into the harvest. That's a great way to pray. Secondly. Another way to pray for international missions. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Look what it says there in verse 3. He's saying to the 72, he's sending out two by two. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs in the midst of wolves. In other words, it's going to be hard. In fact, it's probably going to be a little bit dangerous. You know, if you're a lamb and you're surrounded by wolves, that's a precarious position, right? It's probably going to be a little bit dangerous. In another passage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, be be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. In other words, your actions need to be Christ-like actions. You need to be kind and loving and compassionate, but you need to move forward with some wisdom because you're going to be surrounded by danger. And so one of the ways that you and I should pray for missionaries, people we know or maybe people we don't know that have come across our path, we need to pray for their wisdom. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. International missions is extremely challenging. It is extreme. If it was easy, we'd have enough laborers. It's not easy. It's not easy. There are culture issues. You move from here to there, wherever there is, and it's just different. The the food is different. The, The customs are different. The living situations are different. There, there are cultural issues and, and uh, missionaries experience something called culture shock. They get to this new place and they're living in a very different area and it's like, it's like someone has thrown a glass of cold water in their face. It's shocking uh, because it's so different than what they are used to and it takes some time to adjust and that can be a very vulnerable time for a missionary and their family when they are going through culture shock issues. In fact, our International Mission Board trains people on this end. When they, when they go through training in Virginia, before they go, they train them to look for signs of culture shock and give them ways to cope and deal with culture shock. But culture issues make missions extremely challenging. There are language issues. 
How many in here speak another language other than English? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. That's not very many, right? That's two. Three. Or Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, you speak more than more than uh, more than English. Um, not not many. And you and I understand that learning a new language is not an easy thing. It's a difficult thing. But if you're going to be effective in sharing the gospel in an unreached people group, you've got to be able to learn the language. You can communicate the gospel to them. Language issues. And I know folks that are in areas of the world where they've got to learn two languages. Maybe someone's trade language and maybe someone's heart language. They've got to learn two languages able to communicate, and language issues are very difficult. Most of our missionaries through the International Mission Board spend their first year doing nothing but training on language. They hire language tutors or language teachers, and they're just learning the language so they can, first of all, navigate, find their way around. You know, where is the bank? You know, where is the bathroom? You know, it's things like that. I mean, the necessities. And, uh, and also so they can begin to communicate gospel truth. There are geographical issues. Most of the unreached people groups, the 3,000 plus, or unengaged unreached people groups, most of the 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups live in what's called the 1040 window, which is a, a part of the world that is difficult to get to. It's a long way from here, and there are ge- geographic realities that make it hard to get there. And so it's difficult. So every morning on my way to take my youngest son, Connor, to school, we listen to a one-minute podcast. It's called The Joshua Project. And every morning, The Joshua Project shares a new people group to pray for, an unreached people group to pray for. So this morning, we were praying for the Thai Ling people in Laos. And they were describing this people group. They live near the border of Laos and Vietnam in the mountains. They live at about 5,000 feet of elevation, and they are uh, really secluded. Uh, in fact, I, th- I think they said the, the, the word Thai Ling means headhunter, so they're not real welcoming to outsiders, and, and they're, they're, they're secluded, they're hard to get to, and they're, 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 um, they, they maintain their really ancient customs because they, they keep outsiders away. I mean, if someone's going to go tell the Thai Ling about Jesus, it's going to be hard to even get there and then deal with trying to you know, build bridges to be heard, geographical issues, issues with authorities. You understand, don't you, that many countries don't want missionaries in their country. They don't want people trying to proselytize. They they think that proselytizing can maybe upset the balance of their uh, nation for whatever reason, and or they're just opposed to the gospel. And so there are issues with authorities that, that do not want missionaries there. There's opposition from the enemies of the gospel, people that just want to shut down preaching of the gospel and will even use persecution or other means to stop people from preaching the gospel. There's opposition. There are resource issues. So the first time I went to Belgium, which was 20... Oh, Claire always knows the years better than I do. 2016, somewhere right in there. Maybe 2017, maybe 2015. But anywhere, I, first time I went to Belgium, uh, we were meeting with the missionaries. You met uh, Justin and Angie. They were here. Justin and Angie Ham were here for our um, Global Impact Conference in October. And we were going to do a little outreach. We're, we're getting some flyers uh, printed, uh, inviting people to English Club to come practice their English because people in Belgium want to get better at speaking English. 
And it's a chance just to get to know people and build relationships and eventually, hopefully, tell people about Christ. And so we were getting these little flyers printed, and and Justin uh, asked me, he said, is there any way your church can help with some of the printing cost? And he told me that. Here's what he told me. He said, we have, for the year, for our western section of Belgium, basically the Wallonian region, French-speaking people, he said, our budget for the year for printing materials is $500 for their city and every other city in the western part of Belgium. $500, and once they've used that up, they can't print any more material. That's their budget. And I said, you're kidding. That's the only money you have to kind of to print materials with? He said, yeah, that's... You know, so, so while we're giving and sending people out, their budgets, their, the IMB keeps them on a very strict budget because there's not just a lot of money to go around. They've got to be very judicious with how they use resources. There can be some resource issues. There can be health issues. Health issues. I don't know that I've ever known anybody. I know a lot of folks have served overseas that have not struggled with health issues, serious struggles with health issues. Maybe, you know, uh, some sort of disease that you get in a tropical area. I have some really dear friends. Uh, their son was out for a walk in the neighborhood. Uh, uh, wild dog attacked them. Uh, they thought it was rabid. They had to go with all these rabies shots, rounds and rounds of shots. I mean, you know, health issues, just real life health issues. And uh, I've seen people struggle with those. I've seen, I've seen, uh, Families with kids with with very serious allergy issues that have to come off the field because their kids are so allergic to something that's going on in the area where they are living. One family I know, they were in an area and they stuffed the mattress with a certain a certain kind of husk. I think it was rice, rice husks or something like that. And and there was something in the mattresses that their uh, son was like dangerously allergic to. Like I mean, like it could could really could really affect them. And so they had to come off the field because of that allergy issue. And so health issues are something missionaries have to deal with. And it's just family issues. I mean, besides all of this, I mean, they're just living life, right? You know, there's the kid struggling with their test at school and, you know, uh, you know, ha- having an argument with their spouse or just, you know, just life. Everybody has life. And so while they're dealing with all these other challenges, they're also just living life like you and I are. And life is can, is hard, right? Just the normal day in, day out realities of life. And so international missions is extremely challenging. We need to pray for wisdom. When you're praying for somebody you know or someone's name comes across you on this uh, our uh, weekly prayer sheet, there are missionary birthdays that has people's names or initials. And when you're praying for those folks, pray for their wisdom as they navigate all of these challenges. Number three, this is interesting. Pray for the emergence of people of peace. Pray for the emergence of people of peace. Look what it says in verse 6. Or actually back up to verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And so the idea here is this. When you go into a, a new setting, a new village, a new town. Maybe you're in a mega city and you go into a new apartment complex that you've never been in before and you're trying to to meet people so you can tell people about Jesus. 
Um, Jesus says, look for a, a person of peace, a person of peace. And this is a strategy that your International Mission Board missionaries use all of the time. It is a primary strategy that they use as they go out to meet people. They're looking for someone that is a connector, that connects people, that has influence or is has a certain personality that just knows people that can connect you with other people. It's called a person of peace. When you find that person of peace, it says, stick close to them, right? Eat what they put before you and, and, and uh, spend time uh, with them. By the way, having traveled overseas, that's one of the challenges is eating what's put before you. In, in, in some cultures, it is extremely rude and off-putting to refuse something that is put before you. I was in uh, Africa and uh, they they served this big meal for us. We were there teaching at a at a Bible college, and they served this big meal. And there was this pot of of stew, and it was it was it was goat stew. And the way they do it is they they'll take the goat, they'll clean skin the goat, and then they'll just chop it kind of sideways like this, and everything goes in the pot. Everything goes in the pot. And uh, and so I got just a little bit of goat stew because they're all watching me. It's a little bit of goat stew. And um, boy, it uh, I think I I think I had a kidney or something in my I don't know what it was. It was it was it was something I was not used to eating. And uh, I was with a friend of mine, and he was a missionary in Africa for a time, and he went back for seconds. I was like, wow. So it's important that you that you don't offend uh, and you eat what's before you. But the idea here is this. When, when, when you go into a community of people, there's often an individual that is influential and natural at gathering people. Now, this person may not be a Christian at first. They're just connected in the community, and they're not antagonistic towards you. In fact, in fact, they want people to meet you. They want people to hear what you have to say. And so when you find a person like that, the Bible says, take advantage of their of their connections so you can meet people. And a lot of times they'll introduce you to the community and give you interest in the community. And so when you're praying for missionaries, pray that they would meet people of peace, people that really give them entrance into the wider community of people so they can meet folks and tell people about Jesus. This is so very important. I, I remember I was in um, Toronto and and one of our one of our short-term teams uh, jobs was to go knock on doors, and we were kind of doing a prayer survey, asked how we could pray for people, trying to share Christ with people. But one of the things the church planners asked us to do is that, hey, let us know if you come across a person of peace. You come across somebody that's interested and and uh, cordial and maybe wants to hear more, that could be a person God's going to use to unlock an entire community of people to hear the gospel. So pray for people of peace. Number four. Pray for displays of God's power to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. Pray for displays of God's power to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. So look what it says in verse 9. Back at verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, then heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, the, the healing of the sickness is evidence that God is drawing near through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means there. So, so uh, heal the sick. Pray for people's uh, healing. And then skip down to verses 17 through 20. 
the 72 returned with joy after they were sent out, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the 72 come back and they're thinking, and they're saying to Jesus, as we went forth with the gospel, telling people about you, there was power, power over the demonic realm, power over the enemy. And so you and I need to pray that as our missionaries go forth or we send us a short-term team on a trip, and we're going to send a lot more teams in the coming years. As that happens, we pray that as they go to share the good news, that God would move with displays of power to accompany the preaching of the gospel. That, that God would use these displays of power to get people's attention. Let me show you what this looks like. Look over, look over in the book of Acts with me very quickly. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Acts 9, verse 32. The Bible says, As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and did what? Turn to the Lord. The preaching of the gospel accompanied with the display of God's power. The display of God's power got their attention. Look in verse 38, or verse 36, sorry. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose, went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows uh, stood before him or beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. That's a pretty big deal, right? And it became known throughout all Joppa. And what's it say? Many believed in the Lord. I think it is wise to pray that as missionaries go forth, that God would move with power to get people's attention so they can hear the preaching of the gospel. So I was in India speaking at different churches, doing some training with Christians in uh, India. We were in Tamil Nadu, southern India. And it was customary when you would speak at a church that after the service, people would line up to meet the visiting preacher. And so after every every service, I'd kind of stand near the front, and folks on my team, we stand at the front, and people would line up to come to you because they'd want you to pray for them. And and it would took it took a long time because everyone would tell me their story. Now, everybody that I met in India that that came to talk to me that were followers of Jesus, every one of them that I can remember were Hindu background believers. In other words, they grew up Hindu, they 
practiced Hindu religion. They believed in a pantheon of millions of gods. Uh, they were Hindu in their beliefs and their practice. Uh, that's all that they knew. Hindu background believers. And as they came and told me their story, almost every single one of them, almost every single one of them, came to Christ as a result of a supernatural healing in their family. In other words, they had someone very sick, and they knew a Christian, and the Christian would pray over them in the name of Jesus, and God would heal them, and they thought, I want to know more about this Jesus. And someone would share the gospel, and they got saved. I would say that's probably 90-plus percent of people I met in India that were Christians were Hindu, Hindu background believers that came to Christ as a result of supernatural healing in their family. I was just a Baptist boy, right? And I didn't have categories for that, right? I, you know, I, I'd never seen anything like that before. But here I am in the middle of India, and family after family after family is telling me about supernatural healing in their family, which got their attention. They heard the gospel, responded in repentance and faith, and were saved by Jesus. The, the supernatural display of God's power got their attention. And so I think it's altogether right to pray for missionaries. God, would you move with power? Give them, give them victory over demon possession. Give them victory over, over illness or sickness. I, I pray you just raise people up by your power so people will, will, will stop and hear the gospel. Stop and hear the gospel. And so we need to pray for displays of God's power to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. And I just want to be very, very clear. Supernatural healings don't save. Only Jesus saves. That's the gospel. Jesus saves sinners by grace through faith. Amen? But the healing, the powerful movement of God, causes people to stop and say, okay, I'm listening now. I'll hear what you have to say. And then they hear the gospel, and then they respond. So I hope this little four-part paradigm can help you maybe to pray in specific ways for missionaries that you know or partnerships, uh, missionaries you pray for on their birthday, or maybe you get email newsletters from different missionary families around the world or North America. These are four very specific but practical helpful ways to pray that God would work in and through those folks that are on the front lines of lostness. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.